Today we're starting a brand new series called Wonder, um, which I'm really excited about. And the title of my message is The Surface of His Splendor, which sounds a little bit fancy, but if, if I give you a little bit of a preface as to why I called it that, it's because I've been a Christian for about 10 or 11 years, and I realize that that's not a super long time. Um, but I've been very heavily invested in church that whole time, and I've come to learn a bunch about God, and I've come to grow in my relationship with God. And if there's anything that I've realized, it's that the more we find out about God, the more we realize we don't know. The more we discover and the more we dig, dig out and the deeper the revelations we get, the more I realize, man, like, we haven't even scratched the surface of His splendor. We haven't even begun to tap into how brilliant and how majestic and how powerful our God is. And our journey as Christians is, is a really interesting one because we never reach the destination. Darcy spoke of ascending the glorious hill, and that's a beautiful picture of God's grace allowing us to ascend and see things differently. But we never fully arrive. We never get to the destination. And so as we continue to grow in our relationship with God, He's going to reveal more to us. That's His promise. And that's really exciting but we never do arrive. And so the message title that I have is The Surface of a Splendor because I wonder if we could just go a little bit deeper today. I wonder if for every person that's here in this room, you're not here just to go, I did church or I went through the motions, but today God would speak to you in a way that makes sense to you because he's a personal God and he understands what you're going through and he wants to give you a word in season today. So I'm gonna pray um, and then we're gonna jump into it. Is that cool? God, I thank you that you are a glorious God, that you're a personal God and that you speak to us. And there is so much to you that we don't know, but that doesn't cause doubt in our mind. God, it actually allows us to look at you with great awe and wonder. We thank you that you are a brilliant, powerful, majestic God, and yet you know us. And I just pray, God, that today every heart, every mind would be open and that you would speak a word in season that would transform something in the spirit of each of us. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, I do love Christmas. And I might get some, some hate thrown at me for this, but I don't care. I love Santa. I reckon Santa's the man. And I realize that in Christian circles, that can be contentious, but I'm a contentious guy, so it's all good. <laughs> I realize that Santa's not real, and I'm really... I, I, sh I actually shouldn't have said that. Just <laughs> My opinion <laughs> is that he is fictitious. Uh, <laughs> but I love him. Like, I remember growing up just being fascinated at old mate Santa. Like, I remember thinking, like, thinking about, like, I'm a deep thinker, and I'd be like, all right, like, how does the brother do this? Like, how does he get around to every single home in such a short amount of time? Like, firstly, he's breaking the law because there's no way he's keeping to the speed limit. This guy's fast. And I remember being amazed, thinking, this seems so impossible, and yet there are the presents from Santa. And I, I remember, like, the idea of Santa built within me such a sense of intrigue, such a sense of wonder, and yeah, sure, maybe he is um, a fictitious, perhaps, but I remember being like, man, there are some things in this life that I just can't explain, and then realizing that that's actually part of what makes it beautiful, that there are some things in this life we can't get answers to, there are some things that seem odd, but that's part of what makes life so beautiful, and uh, say what you want about Santa, but do so at your own risk. I, for one, will not risk being found on the naughty list, all right? Um, I do love Christmas, and today is about wonder. It's about looking at God in a fresh, new way that would allow us to always be amazed at who He is and what He can do. Um, I love playing golf, right? And now, I would be lying to you if I told you I was good at it, but I'm good at enjoying it, which is, is very different. There is nothing like being out on the green, the morning sun glistening through the trees, the birds chirping, and you're just out there with some mates having a good time. It's beautiful. It doesn't matter 
that the last five rounds that I played were an absolute shocker. Because maybe in one round, there was this one time where I played a beautiful shot and it made me believe I'd figured golf out. And so today, on this glorious day that the Lord has made, today might be my day. Today might be the best round that I've ever played. And when you're out on the golf course, there's a whole lot of time to think. And there's a whole lot of time to ponder. For some of you, it sounds like hell. But for me, it's beautiful. You're out with a couple of mates, the sun's glistening, the grass is relatively green, and you're just moving throughout your day. There's a lot of time to think about what's going on. There's a little bit of banter. There's a little bit of conversation as to what club you should use. But for the most part, there's just genuine reflection on the complexities of life. I used to genuinely wonder, as I would smash a golf ball, like how it could travel so far, like so far, I'm telling you, so far. I was amazed at it. Like I was in a state of awe. I'm like, how could a ball go so far simply off the power of a human swing? Like I would be amazed and I'd I'd watch this thing like whiz through the air and in a state of awe, like what I'm seeing in front of me is real. Like this isn't a mirage, but that that sucker is actually boosting it over the trees. And then I got to university and I began to study aerodynamics as as part of what I was doing. Rangi, where are you? You're going to help me out. Rangi, come, come, come. Yeah, this is Rangi. She's a legend. She comes along to our Oxygen Youth Program. She's been coming to church for a little while, and I saw a basketball, which is not a golf ball. I realize that, but Rangi's going to come and help me out. I remember being at university and learning about aerodynamics and how a golf ball flies through the air. You can hold that ball out for me. That would be awesome. Is that bright? Like your future. Hey. <laughs> you can hold the ball out for me? Yeah, nice and straight. That would be awesome. Perfect. Just like that. I remember learning that as, assume this is a golf ball, that as the golf ball would fly through the air going this way, the air would hit the golf ball and this would be a point of high pressure. Now, if it was a smooth ball, the air would split either side and it would come around and it would leave about, it would leave about here, leaving a big void behind the ball. This void behind the ball is low pressure, right, which creates drag on the ball. And I remember learning that the dimples in the golf ball have a very important purpose. They're not just there to look good. But what happens is when the air hits the front of the ball, The dimples disturb the air, mixing it with the surface layer of air that's on the ball. Meaning it doesn't just go like this and gone. It actually works its way around the ball even further than usual. Which means it goes around further before departing. So that gap at the back, which is known as an eddy, this tiny little void at the back, is now smaller than usual. Now in nature, everything moves from high pressure to low pressure. And so the high pressure at the front of the ball is trying to push back against the ball through to the low pressure. And this low pressure creates drag. So by having the dimples, it disturbs the air. It goes around further, creates less of a void. So there's less drag on the ball and it can go further. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Rangi. You can go and sit down. Now, I explain that to you to say this. When I was at university, now I was already amazed that a golf ball could fly through the air. So, 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 so very far when I hit it. And when I was at university and I had this explained to me, I remember some classmates being like, oh yeah, like, sure. That makes sense. And I was like, it makes sense, but it doesn't make it any less amazing. Like, to be honest, now that I know how that works, like, it's incredible. I remember being amazed at something. I had wonder, I had awe. And now that I knew how it worked, like, it didn't change the fact that it was incredible. I remember some classmates also being amazed that the golf ball could go so far. But now that they knew how it worked, they were like, oh, now that I know it's not that amazing. I was like, man. I think it's just amazing. Like, this is the world we live in. That stuff like that can happen and that humanity, humanity can discover stuff like that and use it to our advantage. I remember thinking, man, this world is amazing and the God who created it is incredible. I love going out to the airport. 
driving that long road as I watched gigantic metal cylinders just cruise through the air. Like, I don't care that I'm an adult. This is amazing to me. I still find this fascinating. Like, th this, this thing, like, I can't even throw a shot put more than 10 meters, right? And that, I don't even know what that weighs, like 2 kgs, 3 kgs. But this thing that, when full, weighs over 400,000 kgs, seemingly defying, defying the laws of gravity, and it looks like it's going slower than my car as I drive along. It's not. But it's amazing as I watch this, this thing go through the air, and I find it so fascinating. I don't care that I'm an adult. I don't care that there's a very reasonable like, explanation as to how that works, high pressure under the wing, pushing up towards low pressure to create lift. Like, I know that it makes sense, but I'm amazed at it. And, and I want to say that we should never allow our knowledge or lack of knowledge as to how something works to have an influence on our state of wonder. Like, it's just incredible. The world we live in and the God who created it is so incredible, and I never want to lose my sense of wonder. And in fact, Jesus points this out in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is there and his disciples are around, and um, the disciples, like, shoo the children away. The children are trying to come to Jesus, and they say, get out of here, and Jesus gets angry at this. And so he challenges them, and, and in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the center of life in the kingdom. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. It's in the message version. Unless you accept the kingdom of God in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Look, God isn't saying check your brain at the door along with your coat. He's not saying that there aren't really good explanations for things, but what he's appealing to us to do is to say, maybe you could come to a place where you are okay with not knowing all the answers. Maybe we could approach life in the simplicity of a child. Childlike faith isn't just to have faith in the unknown, although that is an element of what faith is. It's not just to have blind faith or dumb faith founded on nothing. No, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not yet seen. There's a substance to it. To have a simplistic approach to the world around us. See, to have faith is to have a foundation that trusts in God and everything else would come secondary to that. See, our Father in heaven is like a dad, right? He's referred to as a father. He's like a dad who has so many tricks up his sleeve as to how he wants to bless his children. And as his children, we have to find a way to come to a place of peace where we say, I don't know how it all works. I don't know like, the answers to all of the things along the way, but I know that my dad did it. And I know that my dad can be trusted. You know, before my dad passed away about seven years ago, he was a very heavy smoker. And uh, we didn't like that he was a smoker. In fact, we told him every time that we saw him that he needed to quit. He never quit. Um, maybe part of what took his life in the end. But even though we didn't like that he would smoke, every time my younger brother and I would go to visit, he could show us this real cool trick. So it wasn't all bad, right? So he was a heavy smoker, and what he would do is, um, I don't know if they still have this these days, but the cigarette packets used to have a little plastic sleeve. Shemaine, you probably know. Do they still have those? <laughs> because you work with naughty students who may. Um, my dad would slide off the plastic packet of the, the, of the cigarette packet like halfway, and then he would get a cigarette, and he would poke it through the plastic in the top, and he would let that little void fill with smoke. And then he would take the cigarette out and then he would like pull the plastic down and it would like puff out little puffs of smoke. And this was like a little smoke train. I thought it was so cool. Like I thought it was amazing. I was like, because as a kid, when he took the cigarette out, there was a hole and the smoke didn't come out of the hole until you went puff, puff, puff. And it was like a little smoke train. I was amazed. I was in awe. I didn't know how it works. I'll be honest. I still don't know how it works. Like that's amazing to me. But I remember 
as a kid going, that's amazing. My dad is incredible. Like my dad has so many cool tricks, so many ways of doing things, and I didn't know how it worked, but I was in awe at the ability of my dad. You know, we serve an incredible God, like a powerful God. Like we hear those words and we go, oh yeah, he's he's amazing. Like he's incredible. He spoke the earth into motion. He wants to guide us and heal us. He loves us. He wants to lead us. And it's not a cop out to say that God works in mysterious ways. All my my non-Christian friends say, that's just a cop out. You don't know the answer. So you just say, God works in mysterious ways. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm doing. I don't understand all of God. And in Isaiah 55 verse 8, it says his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And what happens is some people try to rationalize God out of the picture, right? They say, well, you just got offered that dream job because you were just in the right place at the right time. Don't tell me it was a miracle. Don't tell me that God came through and answered your prayer. And they try to rationalize God out. The only reason you got that job is because you were in the right place at the right time. And I'm like, that's exactly why. I'm so thankful for a God that would prompt and lead and guide and position me in the right place at the right time. I'm so thankful for a God that takes delight in every detail of our lives. People say, well, the only reason you were able to buy that house, it's not because God came through for you. It's because that other family that had a much better offer actually withdrew their offer because their family situation changed. That's the only reason you got the house. I'm like, That's the exact only reason I got the house. I'm so thankful that God can direct one family one way while simultaneously providing an opportunity for somebody else. That's incredible. We didn't get a house, by the way. That's not my situation. Um, Just as an example. And we try to rationalize God out by providing an explanation. But you need to know that your explanation offers no threat to the magnificence of God. People think that they can excuse God by explaining how something works. That doesn't excuse God. That just exposes his brilliance. Like, now I know how a golf ball works. I'm like, that's the world God created? That's ridiculous. He gave us the ability to discover and explore these ideas and use it to our advantage. Like, that's amazing. We think we can explain God away by explaining how something works. God's not surprised when we discover how something works. Don't get me wrong. We should be a question-asking church. We should be a truth-seeking people. In Psalm 25, verse 2, it says that it's God's privilege to conceal things and a king's privilege to discover them. So there's always this element of God holding things back. Why? Why would he not just download everything? I think the world would be chaotic if he did that. But there's almost like a reward for our seeking. There's almost, it's almost like he's made a promise that as we draw near to him, he'd draw near to us. I, I remember reading that somewhere in the Bible. It's almost like if we put the effort in and we partner with God and if we seek out the truth of God, then he reveals it to us in a way as we need it and as we're ready for it. If we're to step forward into our future with a sense of awe and wonder, with a childlike faith that would say, look, I don't have all the answers and I can't make sense of everything, yet I still believe that we serve a God that can do immeasurably more than we might ask, think, or imagine. If we're to do that, we have to preserve, preserve our sense of wonder. And I've got a couple of thoughts as to how we can do that. First thing is this, and it should be in your notes there. Um, to preserve our sense of wonder, don't get fixated on the details. Don't get fixated on the details. Now, last week... My beautiful wife threw me under the bus. She tried to turn you all against me by suggesting that I don't like to put salt in meals. I want to let you know, it was like water off a duck's back. No effect on me. It's my turn now. And a brother got the mic. I'll tell you the truth about how it happens. Darcy, you sip that coffee. (laughs) When I'm at home cooking a meal, 
Oh man, there's so many details. Like you get one of these recipes from HelloFresh. I'm like, hello, like the end of my whole evening. There's so many ingredients. There's so many instructions. There's so many parts of the, why do you have to dirty every dish in the whole house? Ridiculous, eh? One bowl to put this ingredient, one bowl to put this ingredient. I'm I'm running out of bowls. And so there's so many details and so many ingredients. And like for me, I'm like, I'm just going to focus on the main thing here. Like, what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve? Like, if I'm making a curry, right, a curry we shall eat. And Darcy will be like, did y'all put the salt in that? Did y'all put the pepper in that? Did you put that in? Did you put this in? And I'm like, I don't know about all that. I'm like, that's just too many details. Like, yes to some, no to others. Are we or are we not eating a curry? I like to say focus on the main things. You know, this is the truth. In your Christian walking and building a relationship with God, you can be so overwhelmed by all the details. There are so many things to be said, so many things to be read. Do this, do that. So many parts of the recipe, so many ways that you could be successful. And there's so much going on um, that we can get overwhelmed by all the details. You know, this article says one thing, and, but then this book, like, that's definitely true, because that, that's legit. And then I read this book, and it's contradicting that, but that's true as well. Like, I just don't know what to expect. Like, I watched the documentary of, like, the moon landing to say, like, no one ever stepped on the moon. I was like, I believe it. <laughs> then I watched the other documentary that said people definitely stood on the moon. I'm like, I believe that too. Like, I, I don't know what to do here. Like, Aunt Sheila says this, and Aunt Sheila's like a boss, and then my neighbor, but they swear on this other idea, which is contradictory to Aunt Sheila. So, like, what do I believe? And look, it's okay to share ideas, and it's okay to learn from one another, but can I encourage you to preserve your sense of wonder? Don't get caught up in all the non-essential details. Like, there's this amazing quote that I believe we should all live by, and it's that in the essentials we have unity, in non-essentials we have liberty. Right, what that means, that sounds real confusing. Like, in the essentials, the things that really matter, we're together on that. The stuff that is central to our faith, the, the life the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the deity of Christ, the fact that he is the son of God. Because if he's not the son of God, we're all in a whole lot of trouble because there was no reconciliation between us and God. The work and the power of the Holy Spirit. These things that we will not compromise on. To, to believe these is to be Christian. To not believe those is to not be a Christian. And that's fine, believe what you want. But those are central to our faith. We won't compromise on those things. But then there's some non-essential things that aren't as crucial, that don't affect your salvation, that are important, yes, but not as foundational. And in those things, we can have liberty. In those things, we can have freedom. Do you know it's okay for us to be together in a church like this and have some disagreements on some fringe ideas? We can still be friends. We can still be family. We can still respect one another. Even if we had different beliefs on the foundational stuff, we could still respect one another. But it's okay to have freedom and liberty in those things. And some people get caught up building their whole faith identity on some little side hustle that ends up robbing the wonder away from what matters most. You know, that we all like, you know, is the old earth theory or the new earth theory correct? Did the great flood cover the whole earth or just Mesopotamia? Should church be on a Sunday or a Saturday? And I'm like, yeah, interesting. Interesting, sure, but not foundational, not central, not key. Did Jesus die, rise again three days later to connect us with God and give us the fullness of life? Yes, that's amazing. Like, that's what really matters. And I'm not saying don't go out and seek the answers and seek truth. Like, that's very important. And, and I believe that there is one truth for many of these things. And that means the alternative is not true. Seek that out. But don't let those things rob away the wonder of what matters most. 
You know, there's an amazing example of this in John chapter 9. And there's a man there who has been blind since birth. And everyone's trying to figure out, they're like, is his blindness a punishment for his sins? Or, or is it a punishment for his parents' sins? And Jesus is like, what? You guys are weird. It's none of those, right? He's like, no, no, no. This is the case because um, in a moment, God's going to receive glory from this. And then he begins to take action. Jesus spits on the ground, gross, makes some mud, rubs it in the man's eyes. And he says, go over there and wash the mud out in the pool of Siloam. So the man goes and does as Jesus said. That's a lesson. He goes and does that. And in that moment, he's miraculously healed. Like it's incredible. Like his sight is restored. And people saw him and they're like, is that the guy that used to be blind? And then other people are like, nah, bro, you just need to go spec savers. It just looks like him, right? Like, it's not quite the same guy. And they're talking about it. And then they ask the guy. And he's like, yeah, it's me. They're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. He's like, what more do you want? I'm telling you, I was blind. And now I can see. And so they ask him what happened. And he's like, look, well, what happened was um, uh, that guy, Jesus, he told me to go and wash in the pool over there. Um, and then my sight would be restored. And it did. And now I can see. And it's amazing. And they're like, hmm. And they're still trying to figure it out. They were like, well, where is he? And I love his response. He's like, I don't know. I'm kind of just focused at the moment on the fact that the greatest thing that has ever happened in my whole life is that I can see. Like the beautiful grays and tans that make Israel so beautiful. Like I can see it for once in this moment. Like this is amazing. I know you want to find him, but to be honest, I don't really care. Like I can see and this is amazing. They take him to the religious leaders and they ask the same question and they get the same answer. Funny that. And then they start getting caught up in all the non-essential details. They're like, but it's the Sabbath. But this isn't a man from God. Like, how can he do all these things? They're trying to build an explanation. And they go and ask the man's parents, is it true that your son was born blind? They're like, yep, definitely true. Like, definitely blind. And now we can see. And then they go back to the man and they say, what is your opinion of this man, Jesus, who's healed you? And I love his response. Oh, I think it's incredible. Now, I imagine if it was said in modern day language, I'm going to paraphrase it. It would be something like this. You can read the actual transcript in John chapter 9 if you're that way inclined. But I imagine his response was something like this. Are you guys having a laugh? Like, are you seriously asking me this right now? Like, I told you what happened, and you're caught up in all these other details that don't really matter. Like, I was blind, right? Like, three, mind blind, three blind mice blind. Like real blind, like can't see anything. Like how many fingers in front of my face? None. Can't see any fingers. Like Stevie Wonder, like nothing. Can't see a thing, right? And now I can see, and this is amazing. And, and they're all like, oh, yeah, but like who did it and all this sort of stuff. And I can imagine them being like, this is the most incredible thing that happened in my life. So with all due respect, I don't actually care about your side details. I don't actually care where he is or like why he did it or whether he had the authority to do it. He clearly did because I'm healed. I'm amazed. God has healed me, and I'm in a state of wonder. I love that response. Not getting caught up in all the details, but just holding on to this heart of awe and wonder at who God is. And if we want to maintain wonder in our life that builds excitement for what God is doing, don't get caught up in all the little details. Don't ignore them. They're important, but they're not right at the core. And God loves you so much that he made a way for you to be forgiven. He made a way for you to discover the fullness of life brand new life, and He created you to walk out the purpose that He has for you. Let that stay front and center of your focus, and you'll never lose amazement at who God is. Amen? Second thing is this. Uh, the unknown is contained within the known. The unknown is contained within the known. Um, for most of us, we really hate the idea of losing control. Somebody has, people are nodding. So, I remember when I was 16, and I moved out of home, and in with my friend, I lived with their family, 
and his mum started to give us driving lessons. <laughs> she lost the plot. Like, this was hilarious. We're like 16, 15, learning how to drive. And I'm, honestly, every intersection, every speed bump, every corner, she's like hand on roof, eyes wide open, like preparing to meet with the face of Jesus. Like, it's the worst thing in the world. So we just started doing the same to her when she was driving. <laughs> it was hilarious. She would be like, ah! It's so hard to be okay with somebody else being in control, especially if we don't trust the one who's in control. And life is made up with so many unknowns, right? So many things that you can't know. Things like, will I one day carry a serious illness? Will my kids fly once they step out of the nest? Will they fly, my pretties? Or will they plummet to the ground and get gobbled up by a dog? You know, like these sorts of wonders. (laughs) Like, will they make it without me? I'm just not sure and I'll never know until they go. Will I get that job I've been praying for when I finish uni? Will I get through this tough season or will the good season I'm in now come to an abrupt end when I least expect it? And what we can't change is the fact that we will face unknown things in life, but what we can control is how we approach them. You know, when Darcy and I um, were dating and she had to go back to America because of her visa, my mail order bride ran out um, because <laughs> uh, of her visa. <laughs> Don't worry, return to sender. She came back. Okay. <laughs> It was a really hard time. Why are you laughing? I'll be honest, I didn't know what our future looked like in great detail, but I had such a strong sense of peace in my heart about it. I didn't know what our future held, but I knew that God held it. I didn't, there was stuff that I wasn't sure of. There was stuff that I didn't know, but it was contained within what I could know. And you need to understand this morning that what you don't know is contained with what you can know. You might not know what lays ahead for you, but you can stand with assurance and confidence that God is good that he's faithful, that he sees you and notices you, and that he works all things together for good for those who love him. You might say, well, I don't know the scriptures, and and I don't really have a strong understanding of God's character and his nature, and I kind of see God as like this cheerleader that just stands off to the side and watches me make all the moves, and and I'm freaked out that I'm just going to mess it up. You need to know that God is not surprised at anything that you do. And it's not that what we do doesn't hurt the heart of God, but he's not surprised. He saw it coming, and he has enough grace for you today. You need to know that nothing that we do surprises him, and you having made mistakes in the past doesn't have to have anything to do with what God could use you for in the future. Trusting in God converts worry into wonder. We stop wondering how we're going to figure it all out, and it puts in a state of wonder that we know that God will, and that's a beautiful place to be in. Uh, Keys, you can join me. I was part of a team a few years back sitting up for an event. And um, I remember walking into this large room and this lady I didn't know was there setting up some tables. And while she's doing that, these young boys run into the room and they want to run all the way through and out the back doors to the other side. But it was a bit of a health and safety issue. And so I was like, nah, boys, like, you're going to have to go all the way around. And typical young boys, they start to have a good whinge. Oh, it's so far to go. And I'm like, oh, if you stop whinging, you'd be halfway, you know. <laughs> As me and the boys are having this discussion, this lady that I didn't know chirps in. She goes, yeah, life sucks and then you die. (laughs) Honestly, I was like, life sucks and then you die? The boys saw this as their opportunity to leave, wisdom. And I'm, I'm left there and I was honestly gobsmacked. I didn't know what to say. I was like, life sucks and then you die? I remember thinking, man, this lady has lost her zest for life. This lady has taken her eyes off 
the beauty and the magnificence of God. She has allowed her life situations and circumstances to dictate how she sees the world rather than the unlimited abilities of God. Yeah, life can be tough and it can throw us some curveballs, but I kind of think that that's what makes it beautiful. That's what makes it adventurous, mysterious, and rich. See, God created the heavens and the earth. He is majestic. He's full of splendor and power and might, and He spoke creation into motion, and yet He knows me, and He knows you. He is the most powerful, extraordinary thing we could ever begin to try and comprehend, and yet He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows your heart's desire. He even had time to sit down with a good cuppa and plan out your whole life before your first day was even lived. I'll never understand this, but it's wonderful. It's brilliant. It's majestic. It's beautiful. All I can do in response to that is thank God, to praise Him and to worship Him, to be so privileged to be part of the story that He would weave for me. And the same goes for you. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says, Now we see everything imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. Isn't that true? There's so much that we see imperfectly, so much that seems quite confusing. The author of this is saying, Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then at a later date, we will see see everything in perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Life in this relationship with Jesus was one that was never meant to be fully understood. It's an adventure where we grow and we understand and we unpack His love and His plan for us just one moment at a time. It's a relationship that we were separated from, but because of His unexplainable love and grace, we're able to enter back in for all eternity. Every day should be one of awe and wonder that the God of the universe chose you. It's bizarre. It's crazy. It's so weird to try and comprehend that He chose you. He didn't just end up with you. He didn't just draw the short straw and go, that'll do, I guess. No, He looked at you and He chose you. And He was mindful of you in His sacrifice. And he considered you with every step and every thought. And when he made a plan for your life, it wasn't just because you were the next one up in the production line. But it's because he knew what he placed in you. And he wanted to give you the gifts and the talents you needed to walk out that plan. So that God would receive glory. So that you would live a life that is rich and full and make a difference in this world. Don't get caught up in the details. They're interesting. There's a level of importance. But if you get caught up there, if you set up camp there, it'll rob away the wonder of who God really is. And live every day knowing that God can use you, that He wants to bless you, that He has a great plan for your life. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And as I prepared this message and I prayed into it, and even now as I'm speaking, I feel like God is speaking to the hearts of some people. You've become a professional Christian. You've been in church a long time. You've probably heard a sermon just like this and you're like, oh yeah, Frosty stole that from somewhere. You've heard it all before and when I quote the verse, you go, oh yeah, I know that verse. 
can I encourage you to believe that there is more for God to show you? There is more for you. You haven't reached it. You haven't met the target, but it's a journey and it's a beautiful one. I'm going to pray that God would speak to you and give you fresh revelation of what's next. Come on, why don't we close our eyes? I'm going to pray.